0: Welcome to another episode of the Two Brothers One Dad Dead podcast. Today, in addition to myself and Jay Bear, we have a very special guest, our mother. Hi, Mom.
1: Hey. Hi. How are you?
0: Good. So you knew Crazy Bill before he was Crazy Bill. Um, Can you tell us about how you met our dad?
1: Well, I met your dad. I was just not even 17 quite yet. It was in um, 1968, the end of 68, and... There was a concert at a club called Hullabaloo in Mentor, Ohio, where I lived, and me and my girlfriend, Kathy, would go to Hullabaloo every weekend, so anyhow, he was there, and I met him there, and we were dancing and talking and having fun, and then he asked me if I come there often, I said yes, so he was showing up when I was there for maybe a month or so, and then we started dating. He was three years older than me. So because I was that young, my father was kind of questionable about the age difference, but my mom was okay with it. And so we started dating and that's how we met.
0: And, you know, maybe before we get right into it, do you think it's, maybe it's worth kind of taking a step back and have you listened to all the episodes of the podcast or most of the episodes?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: So what do you think we got right, and what do you think we got wrong?
1: Well, I think you got a lot of the um, psychological parts of it right about his depression. He was paranoid, and I think that started the paranoia I could see very early on, Um, the Depression not until a little bit later when he started. There was a group of people who started coming after we moved to Phoenix, Mm -hmm. which was in 1974. We bought the house on Hubble, and there were a group of people who walked through the house one day, and he warned me before they were coming that this was like, I'd feel like you know, or he acknowledged they were rednecks, and because they had carried guns everywhere they went, and so they came. Yeah, so when they came, walked in the house, they all had guns strapped to them, and they had camouflage clothing on and things like that. So they were a little bit scary to me. Yeah. So.
0: But So so what do you think we didn't get right?
1: Well, I think you didn't get right the details of what was really going on in the group. It was a lot more than just talking and planning and thinking about ideas, you know, about the, the theory they had with the end of the world and how to prepare for it. And just to be clear,
2: you're not talking about the anarchist
1: group, right? You're talking
2: about a group, another group before like his late 90s, early 2000s group?
1: No, this was the anarchist, anarchist group. But not like the modern anarchists.
0: This was can, back in the 70s, right? right? Yeah, back yeah, in the
1: Yeah, that's 70s. all I'm trying to establish. Yes.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. But so, I think it was just yeah. that you left out some details to make it... Um, a little less dramatic than it really
0: was. Oh, so you think we made it less dramatic than it really was? Yes. Okay, maybe let's let's put a pin in that for a quick second. And I would just like to know, you know, I'm really curious, like, what was Dad like? Because, you know, we have a certain image of Dad. What was he like, like, when you first met him? Yeah. And, you know, when you got married, like, what was what was he like?
1: Well, when I met him... He was like a typical hippie guy. We would do music concerts, go to Kent, Ohio, to see bands, and go see the beat poets at King's Western Reserve University. He was a lot of fun. He would give me a lot of different books to read, and he said he was impressed that I could read these books that he was giving me so fast. Like what Understood. You remember? I remember, um, the Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn yeah, and it was, a, mm-hmm. yeah. So he was interesting. I liked it that he got me into these clubs. He also introduced me to marijuana and a few other drugs Nice. because he was Great. a hippie and had hippie friends and, and we had a lot of fun. We, what
0: was Mary Jane? Like, do you remember the first time you met Mary Jane?
1: <laughs> yeah. Mary Jane was fun I really and that's the truth that I couldn't really inhale very well sorry
0: <laughs> <right>, Bill Clinton <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, 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 I fooled enough friends that they thought I was inhaling just fine because I would make the sound of the Mom, inhaling sound
2: you know it's 2020 right
1: I do yes
2: yeah, no one's going to come arrest you for saying you
0: inhaled.
1: <laughs> I didn't. Because I, kind of I didn't smoke cigarettes. Okay. So I wasn't used to that. Right. But I did the other drugs too, experimental drugs, acid, and... Yeah, ones you don't
0: have to inhale. <laughs> right. Once yeah, yeah ones so, you don't have to inhale.
1: But we had, you know, he was very um, love and peace type hippie, uh, very much so, and was dancing around crazy all the time to the music. <laughs> you know, he talked to Joe Walsh when he was there at the club, because it was a club where um, local and somewhat somewhat famous groups would come to.
0: Right, because this was the Hullabaloo right outside. Of, was it was the Hullabaloo in Mentor? I mean, Cleveland yeah. is the rock and roll capital of the world.
1: We well, <laughs> it was the Mentor-Hullabaloo. There were five different locations. But the oh, mother, yeah. Okay. Oh wow! Okay. It was a good location for a lot of reasons. And you so, guys were
0: friends with Joe Walsh?
1: Somewhat friends with Joe Walsh. Yeah, I think he was. Joe Walsh was talking to me before your father came on. You know, was there with me. I knew him before your dad. Wow! Wait, how, so how you're We like... could have.
0: We could have been the sons of. Ro- I mean, I love Dad, and I'm happy he was our dad. I guess, but compared to Joe Walsh, I mean...
1: <laughs> that's what I <laughs> that's was just to say. That, that's a choice I wouldn't want to have to make. <laughs> right. And the Yardbirds came and all those people,
0: and it was very much fun in that club. And then, so Dad was this fun guy, kind of hippie, peace and love when you first met him. Exactly. And then, and then so then you guys got married in Cleveland or in uh, Phoenix?
1: We got married in Cleveland in um, on our honeymoon, our honeymoon was a trip to Phoenix where he had grown up. Mm -hmm. And so we went to Phoenix. I met some of his friends. Um, a couple of them were very nice people, uh, you know, hippies also.
0: Like John and, um, whatever his wife's name was. Yeah.
1: John and Bonnie, there was a silversmith named Perry Mm -hmm. and then there was the group of um, his anarchist friends who were like rednecks, and he had said that too. Like these people are rednecks, so you know if you feel like you're not comfortable in the room with them or something, we'll just go in another room and talk. <laughs>
0: so okay. They usually. <laughs> At least he didn't say if you're not comfortable in the room with them, you just go to you know just go to another room. No worries, you can just leave.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well. We had the kitchen or the living room, or, well, before the house, it was basically the same thing, just a couple different rooms we had. So yeah. It wasn't a big difference. But I never so, heard what they were really talking about.
0: Okay. And what was what was so your honeymoon? Was just kind of visiting Phoenix? Did you guys stay in a hotel, or?
1: We stayed at a hotel, and, and then... Um, it was probably three or four days long and then came went back to Cleveland. Okay. And then we moved to Phoenix. You were born in 1972, and so it was the winter of 1974 that we decided that we were going to move to Phoenix. One of the reasons was the, the weather in Cleveland. Yeah and it was a really tough winter. We were going to go leave for Phoenix right after the holidays, but the weather was too bad. We left in the middle of February and it was still bad, but you were in your little car seat. When we left on that trip, Gail, my sister, was with us, and the car did a couple donuts and spun out, and you were like raising your little hands up and going, wee, you know, like it was nice. a fun ride, <laughs> yes. Yeah. But we made it, so we bought the house in 1974.
2: You lived in an apartment first, right?
1: We lived in an apartment first, yeah.
0: So when did Dad start changing, or how did Dad start changing from this peace and love guy to somebody who was hanging out with like rednecks?
1: Well, because the redneck people were there regularly, the anarchist group, he started to... Talk about um, the reason he liked them, and it was because they believed, like he did, about the war against the ATF agents and FBI and thought they were evil people and they were going to, you know, destroy, take our freedom, and they were trying to do that, and this group of people were against that. So they decided to go up north. In the northern country of Arizona and build underground forts to take dynamite and blow up, you know, practice blowing up things on the desert Mm -hmm. and other activities, which became a little bit scarier and scarier as time went on.
0: Did they build underground forts in around Flagstaff?
1: He said they did. Yes. He said it went all the way into other states, too. They were like groups in other states that were doing the same thing.
0: So somewhere there could be an underground fort that goes like from Arizona to Colorado?
1: Something like that. Yeah.
0: Or do you mean?
1: <clears throat> or separately yeah. even. Okay. The forts
0: were separate. Did you ever see any of these underground forts?
1: He never took me there or on any of his, like he would leave on the weekends, basically, and be gone every weekend with this group of people to build the forts and blow up things. That was his mission. So I never got to go or wanted to go.
0: So this just got scarier and scarier, especially with like one little kid, me, and then, and so was he getting more radicalized? Like, when did he stop being peace and love? Like, was he getting, did he basically, was he getting more radicalized or was he almost like an undercover hippie? Like, I'm just trying to understand like how this hippie peace and love kind of intellectual dude becomes like this right-wing militia guy.
1: He was becoming more radical. And then he started collecting dynamite and he would store cases of dynamite in our laundry room and then collecting huge guns, very expensive guns and semi-automatic weapons. And he had five or six different huge guns that he keep in that middle bedroom. And I'd say, why do you need all this? He says, well, because the end of the world is coming basically and they're getting ready for that. So we needed to defend ourselves. And then I'd notice things like, you know, I couldn't keep the curtains open anymore in the living room, I had to keep them totally shut. And they were black curtains so there was no light coming in anywhere. All the window blinds had to be, down and he would tell me to watch out for people following me like cars and stuff like that because I would be walking down the streets and taking you and then Jesse was born in 1975 so we'd be going to the food co-op or park or whatever near the house and so you know I had to watch out for people following me he said.
0: Do you think he ever committed any crimes? I do. What crimes do you think he committed? I mean, he's he's deceased now, so nothing right. can happen.
1: Right. Well, right. Um, he would tell me about the different activities the group was doing. They were starting to, um, there was a helicopter that was, Bombed. There were different things—a statue somewhere that was bombed. I think in front of the state capitol building, and how one of his friends strapped himself to a um, monument. I'm um, sorry, a monument that was—he was going to commit suicide and bomb it.
0: And did he? And I didn't know anybody did a suicide bombing on a monument. Considering, uh, yeah, you can just drop, drop the. Drop the best <laughs> at the bottom. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of anybody suicide. suicide. Oh, but anyways.
1: But I don't know. So, I, okay. I don't think so. I remember the guy's name. Okay. And I saw him afterwards that he told me this story. But as far as your father committing crimes, besides um, the conspiracy of capturing and torturing different ATF agents or FBI agents. He took me for a road trip one time in Arizona and it was up near Solo. And then all of a sudden he pulled the car over and there was a house that was set back from the road. A field was next to the road. And he told me that there was an ATF agent that lived there that he actually shot but he told me he didn't know if he killed him. He said the man went down, and that was all he knew.
0: Wow, okay, yeah, yikes,
1: so it was very scary. I had these two little babies. I was very young. I was twenty yeah. when I had you, and by the time I was twenty three I had Jesse and a right. case full of cases full of dynamite all over the laundry room and big guns you know, so it was very scary for me
0: yeah so what what made you finally decide to leave him because I know that you guys divorced in I think 76 yeah. and I va- I vaguely remember when I was about 4 years old being in you guys took me to a lawyer downtown that I think was like the divorce lawyer I'm not sure
1: no that, uh, that was his one of his trial lawyers or something like oh. that because okay. uh, I never saw a divorce lawyer because he had a lawyer that worked out a deal and I was too scared to do anything about it. It was basically me um, signing a quick claim deed to the house so I could take custody of you and Jesse. And he was holding you to there from me until I did the quick claim deed. And then I he gave me $75 a month for child support for you two
0: 75 bucks each or 75 total
1: 75 each a month okay so
0: and and so i remember you took me to the little mr phoenix talent contest it was like a charity for gompers right gompers head injuries I, can can you just refresh my memory on that because because of that there was some stuff that happened. Did what was was he arrested before I won that talent contest or after? Do you remember?
1: It was after that contest. I think okay. they were investigating before. Right. Because there was a time where I was cleaning in the living room with you and Jesse. I was carrying Jesse in my arms and the doorbell rang. I answered it and an FBI man was there with his badge and actually stuck his foot inside the door, and okay. I was scared. And then you started kind of shaking, so I picked you up too, and we were all kind of very scared, and um, the FBI agent was nice to me, and he was saying, I just had some questions so if you don't mind answering that I'd like to ask you. He told me that he was aware I wasn't really fully um you know, informed of what was going on at the meetings. Uh, but he did ask me about guns in the house and other things. And I said, yes, come on in. And I showed him where the guns were, and I showed him the case as a dynamite. And he seemed to appreciate that. And he told me if I ever need anything to let them know, I think he was talking about protection or something. I'm right. not sure.
0: Right. So I won this talent, and I because this was like through my little mind, the way I knew about this, because I didn't know when he got arrested exactly. But I won this talent contest, which, by the way, was like one of the highlights of my life. Can, can you just like paint a picture of the that the few moments I won that talent? How did I win the talent contest? I was four years old. Right. Can you tell us about that? Just well, so I can bask in the glory again. <laughs>
1: sure. You were just a super cute little boy. And I remember I applied for a credit card for Goldwater so that I could buy clothes for you guys and me. And I bought you this really cute outfit. It was a navy blue blazer, uh, navy blue pants, a white shirt, and red tie, and then white and black saddle shoes. And it looked super cool. And you looked super cute. You were. You know, it was a little contest where you had to answer questions from the judges. And they liked your judge. I I mean, they liked your answers. They liked your answers. And
0: I know. Do you remember what like what dad at least thinks was the winning answer? Where like I guess you told him afterwards, I guess they're like, what are your favorite things? Do you remember what I said?
1: I think you said mommy and God. Right. That's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mommy and God. <laughs> yeah. can't go wrong with mommy and God in eighteen seventy-six Arizona.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow.
0: While you're wearing a little Colonel Sanders suit. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Right. So you won the contest.
0: So I won that contest and I didn't even like really know what was going on. I just know that all of a sudden we're at this like cool little fair thing. Some people talked to me, you know, I was four. I didn't know what was going on. Then you you picked me up. And like ran through the crowd and put me up on stage. And I guess I had won and I got this like box of toys and was super happy. And I got to be uh uh like a little, I got to be in a parade, like the first car in our parade. Were you in the car when we were in that parade?
1: I think I was. I'm okay. pretty sure I was, yeah.
0: But then I guess a reporter called our house to like do a little profile, you know, just a little thing. Like, oh, yeah, you know. One little Mr. Phoenix with his answer, blah, blah, blah. But then dad told me that the Republic kind of killed the story because he got arrested and like an agent was like, he's, he's like, yeah, I don't know what happened. I just know that they were hot to do this story. I got arrested. And then all of a sudden, like the reporter didn't really call me back. And he's like, I'm pretty sure the feds were just like, yeah, we don't want to show this guy as like, you know, we just don't want to give any like good publicity to this guy or something like that.
1: Right. I don't remember the details of that.
0: Okay. So do you what do you remember of his arrest?
1: They arrested him at work or somewhere outside of the house. So he called me to let me know he was, you know, being held and it was a bunch of garbage he said. He told me that, you know, he came home and told me Um, that it was just all a big story and they really had no evidence of anything and he was going to deny whatever they claimed to have known. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, he was advised to do that, to just deny everything, which he did.
0: Okay. So what made you decide to leave Dad? Was there a specific incident or a number of incidents or what?
1: It was the... Just being so scared at the house, um, feeling danger from, like I said, facing the boxes of dynamite or cases of dynamite all over the place. Um, Yeah. The arrests, the agents come into the door, the publicity of it. And when I did go out to take a walk somewhere, I noticed that neighbors were acting different than they were before. So Mm -hmm. it was just time... And like I said, I was ready to do that. Quick claim to the house was not a big deal to me to get out of there with you
0: too. And what was the publicity like? So he gets arrested. Did he get out of jail that night or did you get called down to jail? And then like, what, what, like how did everybody know that he'd gotten arrested?
1: I don't remember those details, but...
0: I know it was in the paper. I don't it know if was, it was on the TV news or not.
1: It was in the paper. I don't remember it. I think it was on the news at least once, like on the nightly news, I'm pretty sure. And I know, yeah, I actually I do remember them showing the house and, the, you know, kind of saying this man in Central Phoenix and kind of showing a picture of the house and okay. uh, talking about
0: it. So then when you decide when you when you left with us how did you went back to Cleveland right
1: He gave me enough money to take a Greyhound bus back to Cleveland with you too which I did
0: Okay and then where were we staying because I got to say I don't remember I remember before that and then I remember maybe about a year after that but I don't remember that trip which at all trip that the trip on the Greyhound
1: out of Phoenix.
0: Yeah, I don't remember that trip out of Greyhound and Phoenix. Like, it, like that's the thing. I have very like not not very clear, but I have a lot of memories until we were about to leave, and then I started. Then, like, basically, the narrative of my life, like you know, continuously started. I would say the summer before kindergarten. Uh, but I do remember in whenever Elvis died, I do remember Jay Bear and I would, were sleeping on the floor of grandpa's house, like in his living room and like in front of where the TV was. And I remember because I remember the day that Elvis died. And I remember that like totally freaked me out because you were crying and grandma was crying. So did we go live with grandpa? at Like, where did we go in Cleveland? I'm just trying to like piece it all together in my head.
1: Well, I think it was Grandpa's house that we went to and lived there, okay. and there was nobody else living there besides us, so I'm pretty sure we had a bedroom. It might have been that you were out in the living room because you guys like to take um, blankets and things and be on the floor there in front of TV and watch it, and it was okay yeah. with Grandpa for you to do that, so... Yeah, I'm pretty.
0: No, I was just, I just didn't know where we, I just was trying to remember where we were. So how about his later life? I mean, what do you think we got wrong or right? Or what do you think? Like when you, I mean, one question I have is when you listen to this, because, you know, you knew him in a certain way. And, you know, obviously you decided like, no, I'm not going to raise my kids with these guys, with this guy. Like, do you think we gave him too much credit or do you think he just kind of mellowed with age? Or what do you think?
1: I think you gave him a lot of credit. I wasn't sure if you really knew the full story of what was going on, because I remember thinking that because he's your father, I'm not going to tell you horror stories about him. I wanted you to right. have a relationship with him. Right. And when you, you know, were older and wanted to go live with him, I kept questioning him about the house and making sure that he had no guns or dynamite or anything like that. There, he told me no. They so made him get rid of everything. That the house was clean, and your grandma was living there, so I felt like it was
0: safe. Um, yeah, which was tr- was which was definitely true. Right. But then so, then him and grandma got in a big fight and she split.
1: Right. So yeah. I'm not sure if you really understood all that happened. You know, yeah, and you're right. And I,
0: no, and I didn't. I mean, he, you know, he's told me his story a lot of times and it didn't include shooting somebody. You know, well, what he told me was that, you know, he was with this group of people. Yeah, they did go blow stuff up in the desert. They didn't have any plans to actually hurt anybody. Uh, they might have like said like, oh, man, that guy, whatever, like, oh, the damn feds. He's like, but there is no specific plan to hurt any specific person. One of his friends somehow knew it was basically involved in an insurance scam where this guy blew up a helicopter to like get the insurance money on it or whatever. I guess the feds found this guy and were basically like, give us names. And and my dad said, you know, this is like mid 70s. You have the Black Panthers. You have like basically a lot of fear from the government. And they're like, you know. Give us names of like people who we consider in the militia. Right. And and that's how he explains that. He's like, look, you know, if I would have really done something, they wouldn't have got, you know, he was basically on probation for five years and they expunged his record after five years. And, you know, he couldn't own guns. But he's like, do you think if I actually really hurt somebody, I wouldn't have spent like not even a full night in jail? That was his thing.
1: Well, he told me that he had a good shyster lawyer, as he called him, and like he said, that he denied everything so they could only prove that there was a conspiracy. But I remember also when the agents were questioning me when they came over. They had a list of names to ask if I knew these people or if I'd seen them, and I confirmed some of those people for them. Right. Do you know what's interesting?
2: right or shortly after i moved out here um somehow dad and i were talking about guns and like shooting and he's like yeah getting shot hurts a lot like an awful lot son it's like oh how would you know and he kind of just hemmed and hawed and was like well i either said like i don't want to say or i don't want to get into it but trust me it really hurts a lot and that always made me wonder like what other kind of secret things were going on. Like, I don't think he ever got shot, but it, he just kind of said it like, there is a definite feeling of, like, intrigue about it.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. That's interesting. Because I don't mm-hmm. think, until he shot himself like a fool in the foot, I don't think he'd ever been shot. Had he
2: been? No. But that always kind of made me wonder, like, why he said that the way he did.
0: Right. Do you Do you know, Mom, had Dad ever been shot? Just to, like figure out he had had dad dad ever been shot
1: i never no i don't remember him ever being shot and being injured at least so it was noticeable and or him telling me he was
0: right i mean and the thing is so i remember and and also did he because i remember like you know even when we were living there like you know fun with dad like planting in the back garden and Him dancing around, and he had this like cool sword, this cool sword that he would keep up on the. Which you know, as a little boy, I was like, "Oh, right on! My daddy has a sword." So I do remember some good times with him. But I also know that he, like you know, from living with him, I know that he drank a lot, often. Like, was he drinking more and more, or had he always been kind of a big drinker? Like, I'm just curious how that part of it went. Mm -hmm. His drinking.
1: He started drinking more and more when after we moved to Phoenix. I mean, it was like he did a 360 and personality change and became somebody I didn't recognize at all, really, because he would be drinking crazily and waving his gun outside and threatening the neighbors that were around and doing things like that. Um, so, yeah, he did drink quite a bit. Um, he went on benches, or then drink every day. He was functional most of the time.
0: Right, right. And and then I mean I totally hear you on not knowing the details about whatever had happened in the past. But I mean I think Jay Bear and I and like so I mean you're you know I'm not at all disputing what you're saying about that time. But as far as being fair to him, you know we did see the good and the bad. At a later point in our lives, when there was no like arrest type stuff going on, or there was other stuff, you know, there was there was plenty of stuff. But like, so you know what I'm saying? So I mean, I do think that we did see some real good and some real bad in him. Do you think? Do you think that's true?
1: I do think that's true, because I, you know, I saw the real good in him when I met him, and we'd been right. dating. We had a lot of fun, and he was not a bad boyfriend at all. Right. He would never, I was never scared of him for any reason.
0: Right. And he was a really interesting, smart guy for sure.
1: He was, definitely.
0: What was it like when you came to his kind of funeral thing, his kind of like memorial that we had at the house, and you saw these like anarchists who kind of like looked up to him and thought he was like the coolest guy ever, and everybody's telling funny stories about him. Like, what did you find? Was it weird to go back into your old house?
1: It was weird to go back there, and I felt like when they were telling the stories and looking up to him, they had only seen one side of him and not the other side of him that was dark and, and to me, dangerous, and like a very dangerous person to be around and, you know, have have that kind of life with him that i did um right they really weren't aware of it and he was good at that because i remember when all of that was going on and he still had a decent job the people at his job thought he was great but he had that personality where he could turn that on
0: And was he racist? Because, you know, when you mentioned the shyster lawyer, like, obviously, that's not a nice way to describe a lawyer. Right. um, Because as probably most listeners know, shyster tends to imply Jewish and as if like Jewish people are good at deals and whatever. It's just not it's not a cool way to talk about your lawyer. Right. Uh, Was he racist back then or not? Because he's he always kind of like on the one hand, he was always like, I hate all races equally. But on the other hand, at least in the 80s, he would like, you know, use the N word and basically talk about how people from Africa, they can't have democracy. They're barely out of tribalism and all this stuff. What was your take on like, was he racist back then or just kind of like casually default racist like most white, unenlightened white people were?
1: He was casually default racist back then. And he, he okay. like I said, he was into the hippie scene and being into peace and love of everybody. So I didn't hear racist comments. I did okay. hear the word chaster and, the, you know, jokes between him and his his dad about chysters and whatever, but not right. much, not, you know, a lot of it.
0: Was there anything else in the podcast that we've done that surprised you like for good or for bad like oh wow I didn't know he did that or anything like that
1: yeah there were some things that surprised me I didn't know that his house was that dirt I thought um your grandma was there almost all the time when you guys were young and the house was being kept up because because she was there he was always sloppy when I met him. He was kind of sloppy, but kind of wore hippie-ish clothes, and everybody looked kind of that way. You know, the sloppy-ish, grungy look of hippies.
0: Right. Everybody dressed like Pigpen, basically, <laughs> in uh, of, peanuts. Yeah. Right. Yeah,
1: but. Um So I was surprised that the house was that filthy and there were yeah. rats in the house and things like that. And some other...
0: Mice, but yeah.
1: Mice, um, right, mice. So... Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know it was that bad.
0: Was there anything that surprised you, like, in a good way? Like, oh, huh, well, that's good that he was able to do that for the kids or anything like that?
1: Um... Not really surprised me because I knew... Like, I never felt like you two would be in harm, that he would ever harm you at all. I, You know, the opposite of that, actually. So I knew he'd be kind to you.
0: So you knew that, like, whatever his weird thing was, that he was, like, a very loving man. Right. At least when he wasn't on his dark side. Yes, I do. And why do you think he had that dark side?
1: I think he was just... Believing that, you know, he was going to be part of this revolution to overthrow the ATF agents that were controlling the freedom and he would be a big hero in that play. You know, he would compare himself to different people, like Chi Rivera like and
0: um, Like who? Chi Rivera. Oh really Shake how do you say his name? Jesse, how do you say that? Shake uh, Rivera. Oh, okay. All right. I always call him uh, uh, Cher Guava. Oh so, Just kidding. No, yeah. but I never could say his name right. Okay, so he thought he was going to be this revolutionary leader, basically. That was his, like, big fantasy. That was. Uh,
1: and he'd have okay. these underground forts that we would be in and other people could come to and rescue these lives of people being, you know, demolished, basically.
0: So he was kind of a prepper before preppers were, had TV shows. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he always did have this apocalyptic streak for sure. Mm -hmm. He did. Yeah. And then, you know, one thing that, I wouldn't say surprised me, but one thing that, you know, I don't know if you know this, but dad had told me, I don't know, mid-90s kind of, you know, after he was... You know he was still working but he had mellowed a lot even in the whatever 10 years that I had been there but you know he told me it took him a super long time to get over you and that you know he probably was still in love with you in a way did you know that
1: well, no I'm surprised because he never did anything to kind of you know he knew I was struggling with trying to raise you two and I was on very limited money as you can imagine, it's $75 each per month for you, too. And that, I had jobs where I was waitressing, and that was hard because I didn't um, have babysitters all the time. Grandma was like our, you know, she was a saint in that department because she loved you, too, so much and would take care of you.
0: In that department.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still getting
0: your digs in on Grandma,
1: <laughs> but no, she, she was, was a
0: saint in that department.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, she was great. Yeah, I mean, I could rely on her for yeah. most no, for sure. a lot of babysitting. I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Did you ever yeah. consider
2: ever getting back together with him? Like, if he had made the effort, we had you ever thought like, oh, if he makes an effort, I might think about it.
1: I thought that. It was a shame that it didn't work out because I had the dream of the white picket fence type thing. We were going to buy a better house and it was going to get better and better, but it never did.
0: And I just can't, you know, it's like, it's hard for me to figure out, like, why were his, why, why was such an intelligent guy? Why was he, like, pretty racist in the 80s? You know, why such an intelligent guy? Why did he buy into this? kook fantasy that he was going to save the world while you know he was going to be like one of the prepared people while you know everyone else suffered he'd he'd be in his underground bunker and maybe do you know what i mean like it was it definitely sounds like a hero fantasy
1: it does yes and i think it was part of his you know when the reality set into him him knowing that he wasn't really going to be able to do that And that fantasy got, you know, destroyed by what was really going on with that group of people and what they were really into doing. Maybe I I felt like he became more and more depressed when that was happening and then the arrest and then us getting divorced. And my friends, I remember when I was telling my friends I was leaving, John and Bonnie and other people, that they were scared for me to be in the house with him and they told me you know to come and stay with them and they, we were actually plotting um how to get you to my kids out of the house safely and then he So had how to, did you
0: do it well go ahead
1: because he had the attorney who told him who he told me, his attorney told him to have me sign the quick claim deed to the house. And then I could take you too and leave. That was his 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 deal. So I okay. did that. And that's how okay. I got to leave.
0: And did John, who's, you know, he's known John all his life, basically. Did he have any, because, you know, John was, he was kind of a peace and love hippie. Did he have any ideas on why dad had this like flirtation with the militia or more than a flirtation was an active militia member, possibly.
1: Um, I think that John stopped talking to him for a while and was upset with what was going on. I'm pretty sure that John had some talks with him about it because John was also (laughs) friends with one of the people involved. That was your father's longtime friend, Don. Okay. So he was pretty upset. Uh about the whole thing. Okay.
0: Yeah. And do you think, I mean, I think it's fair to say that dad did grow as a person, like towards the end of his life and mellowed. And I think that's part of the reason that people looked up to him. Do you think that's accurate?
1: I'm not real familiar with everything he did at that part of his life. I wasn't really in touch with him, so I don't know, but... Like I said, he did have that nice front to him. Um, Even when all of this was going on, he could, you know, show that nice personality that he had to these people that weren't aware of the whole story. Right. Right. Um, I'm not even aware of everything that happened because, like I said, I wasn't informed. He would tell me some things that really upset him. I don't remember all of them, but things that this group was doing—that he some was things that
0: upset him.
1: Things that the group w- were doing, he would that upset him. That upset him, yes.
0: Oh, so is it almost like he thought they were just getting ready? And I'm not, and I, I'm not trying to excuse him. I'm just trying to understand: Is it almost like he thought that they were like prepare? They were preppers, basically, but they went further with it. Like, what was he, you know what I mean? Like, why would he be upset what this group is doing if he's into what this group is doing? Do you know what I mean?
1: I think it was probably that, um, that they were doing more, that it was uh, requiring more of him. And I mean, he was obviously spending his money on these guns and Dynamite and other things that he had. You know, he wasn't really spending it on us and our household. Right. So I think it was upsetting to him that he realized that, you know, we were divorcing, he was losing me and the kids, you two, and there was nothing really progressive. When he was, he had this plan, he probably knew that it was wrong somehow.
0: Right, right. Like a big, uh, what's it called? A big disillusionment, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how did you get along with his mom?
1: His mom? Who
0: is kind of a character in her own right. (laughs) she,
1: She was, but I liked his mom, but she was really pretty tough. She was a very tough woman, but I kind of admired her in a secret way because she kept the kids together, him and his sister, and you know, they allowed me to spend nights over there because I'd sleep up in Julie's room with her, mm. who became my friend. And you know, then his mom would talk to me sometimes. Um, I admired different things about her and her stories. I thought she, you know, had a sad life, and she was very because- brave.
0: Um, her parents died when she was, what, 10 or 11 of some kind of cancer. Yeah. Then she went into an orphanage, right. and then they kicked her out of the orphanage when the Great Depression hit. Right. And she just went to work in Cleveland yeah. at, like, fourteen, fifteen, or something like that.
1: Right. She had a beautiful singing voice, and she'd sing these sad songs. Um, I was impressed. Yeah. His father, I loved... Because he was very kind and he had those kind of sparkly eyes and was very nice to me all the time.
0: Yeah, and he was a smart dude. I remember he spoke with an accent. He definitely spoke with like a, you know, Eastern European accent. He would just kind of read his papers. But I remembered he was a very like just I actually, I you know, Dad and I have talked about this. We think that you, Jay Bear, kind of. Like, you know, I look more like dad. You look more like Grandpa Chris and you kind of have Grandpa Chris personality a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Don't you think?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think of that, mom?
1: Well, I think that you both look more like my family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, think, <laughs>
1: I think you look more like Grandpa Connors because okay. you have that sculpt face look that Grandpa had.
0: A sculpted face look? Yeah, you
1: know Grandpa's face was kind of sculpted? I mean, he had—he was a very handsome man. He had the cleft chin like you and the cheekbones and the forehead. I don't know. I i see Grandpa Connors view oh,
0: okay. a lot. No, I'll take it. No, I heard he was a good-looking guy. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> and that Jesse looks more like me and Grandma. <laughs> okay. And Jesse, you too? i see you do <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah that's how i saw okay. it anyhow more than that i'm sure you do your dad's family right? so
0: right. right right well and then it's fun. so personality wise what do you think did we get more from you? I, I, you know, and I've always even told this to dad. I think we got our kind of wacky senses of humor from you for sure.
1: <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: I probably
1: showed that more than he did. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know about the other traits except. sure it's all from you. <laughs> it's all the goods for me, <laughs> of course.
0: Right. Yeah what can i say you know jay bear do you have any questions
2: well i'm sure all our listeners are wondering and probably already know the answer but um i'm your favorite right
1: (laughs) no 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 (laughs) but i love you all equally so
0: and mom do you enjoy listening to these podcasts i do yes i think really why they're interesting I did learn some things I didn't know
1: um, I think you are doing a great job on it okay um, it's interesting I'd like right, to know thanks. more details when I hear them but you don't know all the details that I do like I said
0: right like what details like what details would you like to hear more of
1: just about what your father was arrested for more details about that and how, you know,
0: So he, yeah, the this, charges the, and things like that. Yeah, the, I mean, like, I his story to me was that, you know, he had this group of basically, like, prepper kind of type people, um... That, you know, that that was their goal was just to be ready, you know, like any prepper can legally do. Like you can believe the world's going to end as long as you don't hurt anybody or do anything illegal. And that was basically his thing. He said he was anti-government, but just, you know, the the extent of his activism was putting up like stickers on phones and like more of a propagandist, like, you know, hope, you know, thinking that the government was close to toppling already and he wanted to be ready when it did, but he, you know, at least his story to me was that he wasn't doing anything to actively make that happen. Oh, really? And then one of his friends did an insurance, like basically used dynamite to blow up a helicopter to help some other guy make an insurance claim. That somehow got exposed. They asked this guy. They were like, "Look, buddy, you can do ten years a hard time for you know whatever trying to kill a helic. You know, we can make it seem like attempted murder or whatever." or you can get a insurance fraud charge probably do you know very little time 2 3 months and then parole if you give us names of other people and dad said that's what happened and then the feds basically had a list of names and were going around knocking on doors arresting people and trying to make charges stick and i think he said besides the guy who blew up the helicopter no no of the none of the other charges stuck
1: well one of his friends happened to disappear who he told me had a lot you know was doing a lot more than the other people in the group as far as hurting Ah. people so and then i said what happened to that person and he'd say no i don't know and nobody knows like he just disappeared all of a sudden so i believe there was a lot more going on than your father admitted to you and what I've heard. Which is
0: possible. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because I asked him straight up, like, you know, every, say, five years, I'd be like, seriously, like, statute of limitations is probably over, like, did you guys do anything worth getting arrested for? He's like, I didn't, he's like, I personally did not do anything worth getting arrested for. And maybe he was just, you know, that's my story, I'm sticking to it, till my dying day. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. But yeah. Well...
0: Do you have any other questions, mom, or want to know more details on anything else in particular? And if if you don't know right now, that's fine. You can always, we can always address it in a later episode.
1: I don't know right now.
0: Okay. And you know what? We actually do have a piece of uh, listener mail today. Uh, It's from my daughter. She, She was wondering, as I was editing the podcast last night, actually, while she was falling asleep, I was... Hanging out on her floor, uh, because that's you know, I usually hang out for 10 or 15 minutes while she kind of like relaxes and reads up in her bed. And, um, she heard me laughing. I was, you know, she asked me why I was laughing. I told her the story, uh, that was in last episode, Jay Bear, about you. Driving over a mattress flat, the mattress catching on fire, your car catching on fire, you just driving down the street not knowing your car was on fire until a workmate like uh, you know waved their hands at you and you just thought they were saying hi. So, anyways, she liked that story, and she's like, "But the first question is, why was there a mattress flat on the? Why was there a mattress flat in the middle of the road? Do you have any insight, Jay Bear?" why was there a mattress or a box springs flat in the middle of the road? Mm-hmm.
2: That is a great question, Zoe. And one that I've been trying to figure out ever since that happened, and I don't know if I will. It was just one of those weird, random things. I don't know if they were trying to throw it away and just got lazy and just left it there or what. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever know, but it's a good question.
1: I see. And then she didn't... Yeah. Go ahead. I think it probably fell off of a moving truck or pickup truck or something. People were moving furniture. Possibly. And most likely it fell off.
0: No, that's actually probably the most reasonable yeah. explanation. And although she didn't ask this, I know someday she will. Why did you decide to just drive over it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said in the episode... um It was my first day at a new job and I was really nervous about making it back on time. So I thought this shortcut, I just did like a quick cost benefit analysis in my mind, which didn't include my car catching on fire because I didn't imagine that happening. (laughs) But I just thought like, okay, I'll just go really fast over it. And that would save me like five minutes rather than going another route. So.
0: Right, but it was in an alley, right?
2: Yeah. So what's your point?
0: So you thought it would be quicker just to drive over this thing just full on, hope for the best versus like just just backing up for half a block have <laughs> taking you like three seconds.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, dude. But what you got to realize is that backing up would have backed me up onto like a major street, not some little side street.
0: Ah, uh, OK. So, so either like back up into traffic right, or just into like a major you, street. Right.
2: Oh, and you know you, I thought of a solution later but it was like after the fact I could have just gotten out and moved the damn thing <laughs> that would have saved me a world of I was, yeah.
0: yeah I was just gonna say like there's an, there's option there's, there's more than there's more than two options drive over or just back up into a major street you could have maybe tried to drive around you could have picked it up and put it on its side so it wasn't blocking the whole thing well yeah you know what they say about hindsight though yes, that's true. All right, well thanks. Thanks for answering the question. Pleasure. Thanks, Mom. It was really nice to have you on the episode. Yeah, yeah thank you. Jay Bear. Thank, thank you, you, Rocky J. Seeing. And listeners, uh, we have an email address. It is two brothers Rocky J Bear at gmail.com. Yep, two brothers Rocky J Bear at gmail.com and that email address is in the show notes. So I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the Two Brothers, One Dad, Dead podcast. Talk to you
1: soon.